So this morning we're, we're going to remember O Vishnupad A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada with regard to his uh, departure from Bharata, from the Bharata Bhumite, Bharata Bhumite Huila Manusha Janmaja Janma Sarta Kori Parupakar. To do Parupakar, this is the mandate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that Prabhupada himself used to like to cite. Parat Bhumite Hoila Manusha Janma. Those who have taken birth in Bharat Bhumi means the ancient name for India after the great Bharat Maharaj who himself was a great devotee, renounced his kingdom and, and so forth. Um, pious land, mother of religion uh, and um, probably the most diverse religious country in the world and interesting and enchanting um, Christianity spread all over the world, but I had a hard time <laughs> in India um, marketing as it did the miracle, as it was thought of, is thought of, of the Christ's resurrection. Uh, wasn't as impressive in, um, in India, apparently, as in other parts where um, there are many wonderful miracles and mystical stories about saintly persons, and this is one of them. Mahaprabhu said that those born in that land, they should take the, um, the spiritual heritage of their birth and distribute it to others. Dupar upakar. Upakar means like welfare work philanthropic, altruistic work, but par-upakar means a philanthropic outreach that um, reaches to the root of the problem. The root of the problem that many are treating only the, the symptoms of. Hunger is a problem, but as much as we feed people, hunger, hunger will never never go away. So how to end the hunger problem? This is Parupakar. I mentioned Raj Parikshit the other day in this regard, perhaps worth mentioning again. His problem was attachment to eating and drinking that caused him to make a mistake, to be cursed to die in seven days that um, brought him in touch with Sukadev and the talks of Sukadev were such that he could, upon listening to them, thrive without eating, without drinking. He said that he went out without food or water for seven days. Of course, we know that if you don't drink water for seven days, you'll die, right? So, but he lived. Another story. Hmm on the nectar, the immortal nectar of Harikata. And so, 
eating and uh, drinking is the problem, uh, the need for such and, and all that goes with it, and ending that problem is the real parupakar, the real solution, hmm? rather than treating the, the symptoms. And that's why in Vaishnavism, of course, initiation is so important. Because the Vaishnava offers all of his food to the deity. Hmm? And he has to have the mantra in order to do that. Hmm? So as important as eating is to everyone, it's a pretty important affair. So Vaishnavism is making this point. You have to offer your food, everything you eat, to the deity. And so in order to do that, you have to get the mantra of the deity from the guru and the instructions how to offer and so forth. So, um, and in point of being again, eating is a big part of our lives. Let's say we, uh, you know, we are what we eat, and such statements are there, and um, it's one of the things we do because we have to do in order to live. So, Vaishnavism goes right at the core there of eating. Hmm? and adjusts our eating in such a way that hunger will stop, ultimately. When you offer that food to the deity and you see the deity eating, then you lose your appetite altogether. (laughs) Uh, And in conjunction with that, you see yourself as well. And the difference between yourself and the body and the needs that correspond with material attachment um, drop like leaves from the trees in autumn season in September when the leaves come falling down. So, it's a song. Um, so Vaishnavism is the parupakar, is the idea. This ministering to the self. Um, Prabhupada used to give the example of the bird in the cage. If you feed the, just the cage but don't feed the bird, then these are simple examples, but they're profound. Then, then what? Something like that. So not to, not to diminish the efforts of others who are engaged in social philanthropic work and, and, and so on, um, but that um, for them to diminish this work, there's a place for that also. Pujapadjita hmm. um, Marsh once said, I, I, I'm giving this nourishment of Harikata, topics about Krishna to people, and I can get a full, full, full room for that. Shall I put that down and run after others who are hungry to feed them? Other people are doing that. Hmm? And what, what, so, what about the people who have a hunger for this? They should be nourished. There should be a place for that. Hmm? So, this is this is the parupakar that Mahaprabhu was concerned with, and um, it's a nice verse that Prabhupada himself used to like to cite: "Bharat bhumi tehoda manusya janma jar janma sarta kori parupakar." I was born in Bharat, they should do this Parupakar around the world. This was his idea, to export the Dharma, the Vedanta, the Bhakti, the Parodharma, 
This is the answer, of course, to the first two questions of the Bhagavatam that we've been um, studying that come in the first chapter. Six questions, the first two. What is the Shreyas, ultimate good? What is the essence of all the scriptural uh, injunctions in terms of what we should do? Sometimes it's framed, what is what is the most important thing I should do with my life? What is the most important thing to do at the time of death? And Sutta Goswami comes with a big statement, Savai pung sam paro dharmo yato bhakti dharhoksari that the, the, um, the paro dharma, the supreme dharma, the shreyas, the ultimate good for human society, pung sam, Yato bhakti dhoksaja is is to do bhakti to adhoksaja means that the transcendental um, godhead who's adhoksaja beyond he's outside of the alphabet a and ha this is the beginning and end adhoksaja Sanskrit alphabet. To him and uh, and and how and if it's done hmm, without any motive, without any interruption, hmm, this will fully satisfy the self. No more hunger. Hmm. So this is the theory, and Prabhupada lived on that uh, theory. He validated that. He exemplified that, and um, so we're. Remembering today, the day that he left Bharat Bhumi, this pious land, to bring its wealth, really, to share its wealth with the rest of the world. And his ambition was, in this regard, to go to America and New York in particular. He once said that others, meaning his some of his other god-brothers, they had idea to go to London, England. England, of course, um, occupied India for, for a couple hundred years. And during the time of Bhakti Sarasthi Thakur's mission, mission of Prabhupada's guru, Sridhar Maharaj's guru, our grand guru, um, India was still under British occupation up until what, 1942, and he left the world in 1936. So Britain loomed large in the uh, minds of the Indians as the predominant Western influence. Indeed, they were before World War II. Uh, England was, uh, they said that, said that the sun never set on the British Empire. Some people say after what they did to India, it never shines on the British Empire anymore, <laughs> which has shrunk considerably. But at any rate, um, while others were thinking of London, and Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvitakur himself as well, and for good reason, um, he wanted to strike, you know, at the heart of Western civilization with the, you know, the, the love arrow of the Pushpabhanyaya of, of, of uh, Madan Mohan Krishna, <clears throat> charm them. Um, but he also, Pujapachitamars told us, sometimes expressed an ambition to spend Ten years in America, so he apparently had a vision as to the future 
change in the balance of power in the world that came about actually after World War II when the United States became the largest military, industrial, economic complex and uh, the leader of the Western civilization in the world over um, in many respects. Um, but nonetheless, he had, he had his sights first set on London. He wanted, he expressed a desire that his life would be extended for 10 years to have been able to uh, do outreach in in the Americas, in the United States. Peter Marsh once said to us, and he got those 10 years plus two in the form of his disciple, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Sami Prabhupada preached for 12 years in America and other parts as well for that matter. A huge and expansive campaign as it turned out that really exceeded his um, wildest expectations. Um, he had high expectations, I should say, in one sense. He sometimes called it shooting for the rhino. Apparently the rhinoceros is, is a difficult animal to slay because he's very strong and powerful and protected by armor and there's just like one spot, that's the impression I've got anyway, that you have to hit the rhino and, and maybe it's in the heart and it's protected all around in order to, to slay him. So um, he had... He had big ambitions, putting, as he should, the onus on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, on on Krishna, to give him the power to do the work, the bidding of his Gurudev and so forth. At the same time, I think that his he did express at times, uh, personally, that his expectations were exceeded. He hadn't thought that he would have the kind of success that he did. So we're remembering this a departure of his and the implications of that. Um, the story of his departure and the effort to leave India is very, very powerful. This is one of the greatest stories of India's spiritual um, um, his sadhus and saints, really. It's, it's a, to go back and look at that and even for myself, who was always have always been inspired by it, but to read a little bit about it again and so forth, think about it. It's you think this is this is really a story that needs to be told. <laughs> it's incredible. The uh, it, incredible with regard, I would say, to the to the, the sacrifice, the determination, the one-mindedness, the way in which he was ahoytuki, unmotivated by any other. Uh, ambition. There was nothing in America that was luring him, you know, for other purposes, and and so it's uh, it's unmotivated purely out of a desire to fulfill the uh, ambition, and as he took it, the order of his guru, Bhakti Saraswati Thakur, to see such a thing happen, and unmotivated, undeterred. I mean, there was. there were many, many, many obstacles put in his path, and um, he he didn't allow them to remain there. Hmm? I mean, just the idea of leaving India. We, most of us here, or a lot of people in the room, have United States uh, passports, so we can go anywhere. Hmm? But to have an Indian passport is, doesn't mean you can go anywhere. This is a third world country. There's lots of lots of poor people. 
in India. And um, the prospect of uh, an Indian boy or girl, a man or woman, getting out of India is, is not, uh, it's not great. Um, even, even today, um, there's more with um, you know, outsourcing from America and so on and so forth, but um, less, I would say, in, in those days. What to speak if you had no income, no family ties, hmm, um, and so on, um, which was uh, the situation for probably he left his own family situation for the work, the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur, and um, tried, as we heard a little bit this morning, to establish something in, in India, but he was finding that um, India was a little oversaturated with religious possibilities and so forth, and they were turning their interest into the West for material advancement, progress, industrialization, and so forth. So he found a, a less than uh, hungry uh, audience. So all the more then he, he turned his attention uh, westward. And he had New York in mind. American New York, he'd never thought of London, which is prophetic, I, I guess we could say. He said sometimes that he would, he would dream that he had arrived in New York. Now, this is an interesting preoccupation to me, dreaming I went to New York. There may, how many Indian boys <laughs> were thinking, if I could get to New York only, you know. Uh, but he had a very different thing in mind about it. Hmm? Nowadays, uh, you, you, can, you can find young Indian um, men will join a, a mission, a spiritual mission, and they'll just work and serve like anything for two or three years. And without, unless you can like look underneath and have that capacity to see, ati bhakti lakshan chor. Hmm? Too much bhakti is a sign of a thief. So, <laughs> in other words, bhakti is rare, actually. So we see someone with so much bhakti, we think, hmm, I don't know about that. Maybe there's something else motivating him or her. Hmm? Um, and such is the case with many young Indian men. They'll join a temple and they'll just serve like anything. Yes, Prabhu. They'll just do anything, but they're being fueled by the motive to eventually get uh, sponsored by that organization and get sent to America where they can then pursue what they really are interested in. It's like they decided to go to college for two years or enter the military for two years in order to get something out of that. It's quite common. And it's not that bad of a thing, actually. I mean, it's not very attractive to us who are spiritual seekers. But um, then again, most of us come from here in the room, more affluent situation and so forth. These are poor people. They don't have much prospect. And the propaganda from this side is, is, is loud. They think, you know, the streets are paved with gold. And and comparatively, they they are. When I first went to India, it, it got surrounded. We landed in Madras. It's like 1973, I think, or 1974, early in the year. Um, landed in Madras on the way to Calcutta, and 
everywhere along the way, every train stop, surrounded by young people saying, what time, what time, what time? They wanted to see your watch, you know. The, the watch was like, wow, a watch. You know, that's incredible. You know, they didn't, really didn't care about the time. They knew the time. They just wanted to see the watch. And uh, the, the <laughs> it was interesting to to see. And we were thinking, ah, oh, they're so materialistic, you know. But but you know, they have. We came from the different environment, which was something that was going on in a larger scheme of things that would serve Prabhupada well in America. The nineteen you know fifties uh, baby booming uh, post World War Two fathers and mothers who had arrived because they had a washer and a dryer. I remember when we got, the, you know, we used to have radio, and then we got the television, and we got the the color, a color television at one point, and it was like, yeah, they were gonna like tweak the thing, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like colors, but the colors are weird, you know, and so they were these things were coming out then for the for the first time these types of um, material facilities and. Um, our parents from my generation were really enamored by such, thinking, this is it, we've arrived. Our kids, that's it, they're just going to be happy as anything. We were the most disenchanted generation <laughs> that America had seen <laughs> in, in American values, which, uh, which had, you know, had, had uh, come to this, modern amenities. And so for them, my mother waited in bread lines in the 1930s, you know, to soup lines to get get meals and so forth. So they couldn't understand why we wouldn't be satisfied. And from their perspective, you know, now in retrospect, I can understand it. But we couldn't be satisfied because, of course, we had another family to join, and our material disenchantment was was an opening, a teachable moment, so to speak, for. A, a great teacher like Prabhupada to come and, and have a receptive um, audience. So, uh, so I think, but he was dreaming about coming to New York, the Big Apple, and there, and there he would start his uh, his preaching mission. And so many others were dreaming of going to New York also for entirely different reasons, and naturally they suspected him as well, hmm. um, because what he was really interested in. There's not a lot of interest in, uh, even in the place of its birth, so to speak, where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared, where Krishna appeared, and so forth. Uh, it's a it's a rare thing. He was he what he was about, what was really driving him, was um, beyond. You read the testimonies of the people who knew him, and uh, Satsrupmarsh who wrote the biography of went back and found people who knew him and interviewed him. They had no idea what he was really all about. What uh, that that or that such um, um, a wonderful thing would would uh, would result from his going going abroad. Uh, they were uh, stunned in, in in retrospect to look back at that and think that they knew him in those days and so forth. So. Walking amongst the uh, the common people and uh, uh, with a religious idea in in mind, in those days, he has his family life had just um, 
kind of, he had had enough. The story was something like that he had his Bhagavatam, and books, you know, they're not were not that readily available in those days. There wasn't so many publishing companies and printing presses even in America. And so he had a Bhagavatam book, and um, I guess he was he had a, a way for some uh, business for the family for some days, and he wasn't that good at making money, and uh, his wife sold his Bhagavatam for tea biscuits. So he, he couldn't, he couldn't, that was, it was the last, last straw, so to speak. He said, it's either tea or me, so, and me means, as we came to find out, the book, the person Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. These two, the book Bhagavatam and the person who personifies the Bhagavatam. The combination of these two together, that's a real treasure. That is the, the Kabirash Krishna says, from the, these two mediums together, we get the preem that they've come to give. So, that's it. He left home. He just walked out one day. The neighbors were like, where did, where did Abai go? <laughs> he left home. That's it. Hmm? So what was happening inside of him? What were his thoughts? What were his feelings? And they, 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 he, they, he really had no one to share it with. Hmm? Hmm? So uh, he forged his way. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur's mission was in different states of disrepair at the time. Different of his disciples had formed their own branches and so forth. And he tried to connect with them at different times in different ways and did to some extent. But he ended up living in Vrindavan and writing his Bhagavatam commentary. And even that, people would ask him, why are you writing a commentary on the Bhagavatam? There's already Vishwanath Chakrabhitakur has a commentary. Jiva Goswami has a commentary. Sanatana Goswami has written the Vaishnav Toshini commentary. So, but he pressed on, wrote the commentary, and as he wrote it, he would take the manuscript to Delhi. He would get enough money to take the train to Delhi, go to the printer, OK Press. He got it printed on the OK Press. And the, the cover, which he designed himself, and engaged an artist to, to, to draw, was printed by the, by the Rada Press. So the Rada Press and the OK Press came together <laughs> and um, printed his Bhagavatam, kind of. They... They were, he, he would come and he would give the pages of the translation and they would print it and he would do the proofs and he would come and read the proofs and then have him do it again and so forth and he was still writing the book. <laughs> he hadn't finished the first volume and he was having the first volume printed. Hmm? He was, because he, he, so he, he didn't want to waste any time. He didn't want to write the book and then give it to the printers and wait. So he, while he was writing it, he was having them, them print it. And uh, and and coming up short with the money to pay for that, but charming the printers enough for them to to go ahead to go to the next stage, and finally 
complete the first volume, print the first volume while he continued on the second volume, and then they would keep the books. And then he would assure them, you know, this is the Bhagavatam, and this is in English, and the whole world speaks English, so this is going to be a big seller. <laughs> you don't have to worry. This is going to be a huge, you know, first, what they call the bestseller. Hmm? It's going to be on, you know, whatever, the New York Times bestselling, you know, list here. Um, and they had to look at him like, you know, he's a nice guy, but he's, you know, he's uh, he's out of touch or something. But uh, he was in touch <laughs> on a deeper, deeper level. It became, you know, his Bhagavatam was sold, you know, millions of copies. Millions, I don't know how many. Uh, Prabhupada was very kind to me once when we brought in the first report of 69, I think it was 69 million books. 69, is that right? 6 million, 900,000 or something, I don't know what it was. It was a lot of books. And we were sitting with Prabhupada on his veranda in Mayapur. I had to come there to see him. Um, he was, it was in 1977, I think, when he had become ill and he wasn't going to continue on the rest of the festival from Mayapur to Vrindavan. So I was telling him I wasn't going to go to Vrindavan. He said, why not? And I said, because you're at the festival and you're not going to go. So I, you told me years ago that just come here every year and spend one month with you. So if you don't go to Vrindavan, then I'm not going to go either. He liked it, but he said, no, you should go. <laughs> he says, you are a good preacher. You should go there. He said, just like my Guru Maharaj, I never feel his absence at any moment, any time, and so forth. He said a lot of nice things to me, but gradually some other devotees came and gathered around and so forth, and Prabhupada was chatting with them. And then my Gavrathar Ramaswar arrived, and he was involved in the book publishing. I was involved in the book circulation, and... Um, so he brought up a brochure that had been printed about the publishing house, the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust, as it was called, the publishing house, and its um, its work to date. Uh, so many books in so many different languages and something about them. And so, so for the Prabhupada liked those kind of professional reports to do it all in like by Western standards and so forth. And, and so he gave the brochure to Prabhupada and said 69 you know, million books and he said, and, and by the time this has been printed, Prabhupada, practically speaking, they, they've all been distributed. Hmm? So Prabhupada was very pleased. And, you know, OK Press would have been happy to have had the account. <laughs> Later, of course, they, they, they didn't. They, they kept the books. Hmm? And as he sold them, then he could come back and get pay for more and so forth. But at that time, I said, Prabhupada said a nice thing to me, so I guess I should... Mention it. Everyone was then dismissed at a certain point. We all left, and Prabhupada called me back, and then, and then he pointed to the figure 69 million. He said, "This is all your credit. You've done this," because I was very much involved in aspiring the book selling. I said, "Prabhupada, that's very generous of you, but that's you. You, you. It's all your credit to, to do that." So, anyway, we were helpful in something that was important to him. That was a good good fortune. To see that the that the, the his expectations, uh, his original printing at the OK Press would be realized. Hmm? Millions and millions of those Bhagavatams sold. They had no idea at the time. Hmm? They would keep the Bhagavatams there, as I say, and then as he would sell some, then he would come back and 
get some more. And, and he would go to the tea shops where um, the uh, educated Hindus absorbed in the new country hmm, and the politics of the day and so forth would sit and read the newspapers and basically talk politics. And uh, they still had some space for spirituality and so forth, but uh, that was slowly becoming the distant past of India, that India would, would want to separate itself from as they are today more and more. Um, there he would go and try to sell his, his books. And he would find there some uh, Christian Christian tracts, you know, tracts, these little pamphlets from the, uh, like Jehovah's Witness, so forth. And that's how he would get, like, information about America, what it was like, and, you know, they write those articles, that, you know, and all ends with, you know, Jesus, you know, is the answer to every, every, every article, every problem. You know, so... Uh, he, he was reading these tracts and thinking how, seeing how the Americans thought about religion. As, whatever he, he was so interested in what they thought about. But as I say, it was from a completely different perspective. He had no ambition to take anything from the West or that any, any sense that he had anything to gain by, by going there. Rather, that um, he, he would gain spiritually by giving the gift of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Prem. To um, to the West and to the and and from there to the world. So uh, uh, meanwhile, you know, you have you have you have your I say the general class of Indians who would be interested in the West and the way they were doing things after Gandhi's demise and the freedom of India under Nehru. Then everything was stamped with British approval. Hmm? Although they were free from the British, they weren't psychologically free from the British. They were intimidated uh, much by the uh, the idea that the West was the the standard and so forth, and that and that, that, that their ways were backwards, and so on. So you had these amb- one class of people ambitious to know about the West for becoming Westernized, and then you had your sadhus who wanted nothing to do with the West themselves, and in the Gaudiya sect, largely in Vrindavan, where Prabhupada was living, interested only in internal life and and so forth. And here's this curious sadhu hmm, interested in the West. And uh, there the sadhus would live in a simply, and they would go out from door to door begging. It's called madukari. Madukari means the, the work of the bee. The bee goes from one flower to the next and takes a little bit of pollen to make honey. So the devotee would go out, the renunciate would go out and go door to door and beg and whatever he would get that he would eat. He wouldn't stay at anybody's house and be maintained, bought and paid for, or anything. He was independent. He would go and ask what he got, he would eat. So that's an austere kind of, of, of life. Um, and Prabhupada's uh, a- ambition was you know, he's living in Vrindavan with an ambition to go to New York. It's, it seems very, very out of place. And other sadhus 
while not disrespecting him, thought, you know, it's an interesting idea, but you're old and your health is not not the, the greatest. And um, you sure there's not some other reason you want to go to New York? <laughs> and there was the idea that sadhus would never cross the ocean and to go to the impious land of the impious, as they were thought, and, and so forth. Uh, but he had the... Um, the order of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsthidaka, or the, or the suggestion of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsthidaka, that he took as an order that um, to preach in English the, the, the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he was very fixed on that. This was this was the hub around the, the around which his life orbited. The suggestion of his guru, which he took as an order. He used to tell us, "If I, I I'm nobody, nothing, but if I've done anything." Then I've tried to fulfill the order of my my guru, and all my success is coming from that. This kind of one-mindedness on one suggestion of Bhakti Siddhanta, one or two. If you get money, ever get money, print books. He said, I think it would be good if you preached in English. So Prabhupada took that to me, and I should print books, and I should, you know, speak in English. And who speaks English in India? So I got to go somewhere else. And. Uh, the biggest and most influential English-speaking country is America, so I'll I'll go there. This is how he interpreted the the suggestion of Bhakti Siddhanta. He made it his life and soul. So he very much took seriously the uh, Guru Mukha Padma Bhakya, Chitete Kuri Aikya. The words coming from the lotus mouth of his Guru, he made them his heart, one with his heart. He had no other ambition, no other desire, and. Um, and doing so put him in great difficulty, materially speaking, put him in great difficulty. Um, you know, he managed to get enough money to take a train to Delhi and then convince somebody to print some books and go out and sell them in the tea shops and bring the money back to them. He was living like, really like, really like a beggar. Hmm? But begging people to take to Krishna consciousness, not begging to get anything from them. He was full in himself. Um, but the extent to which it was not readily uh, understandable by those he came in touch with, who were charmed by him, found him um, um, pious, religious, a little over the top, maybe in the, the level of his, his interest and so forth, a bit old-fashioned maybe uh, with his religious ideas and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but he managed to overcome various obstacles and charm a few people and make his way to America. The primary person um, in that regard was the, the um, what was her name? Marjorie Desai. So she was... Uh, a owner of a of a uh, commercial um, steamboat, whatever you call it, it's cruise boat uh, or commercial boating shipping company, shipping from India to different parts and so forth. And um, she was quite wealthy and a member of the Balaba Sampradai, which is another Vaishnava um, lineage that. Um, was, is very close to the Gaudiya lineage. So Prabhupada approached her and um, 
I believe he actually got some money from her, a donation to print his his Bhagavatam, um, enough to have, uh, what was it, maybe a couple hundred books, 600 books maybe? Trunks. A couple of trunks, because his book was, was the first canto in the first first three volumes, and this is, he was planning on taking what he took with him. You know, people go, if you go to Europe, you know, all their luggage and so forth. So he had his, for himself practically nothing, but his volumes of books that he had to ship over. So um, this was his life. This was what he was living on, hmm? living on the Bhagavatam hmm? in, a, in, an, in an appropriate way, not being, not as a professional speaker of the Bhagavatam to maintain all types of material habits and so forth, making a, li- making a living out of it, but without any material habits, hmm? really living in the Bhagavatam, Really, he really personified the Bhagavatam. If you want to do Madhukari, Madhukari, I just talked about that. That's a little sounds a little bit challenging, doesn't it? Okay, you just wake up in Portland tomorrow and just go, you know, door to door or whatever, see what you can get to eat, you know, um, and, and what we're eating once a day. Um, India had a bit of a setup for that. Sadhus had their place, as was mentioned in the, in the discussion this morning. Prabhupada being poor and being a sadhu, so still could show up at the prime minister's door and uh, say he wanted an audience and it's possible he could, could, could get one. Indians had a, had a place for sadhus. They, they, you could, it, was a, it was a possible lifestyle. Hmm? Um, India didn't have a lot of material prospects, and so the spiritual prospect loomed there often for people who, well, couldn't make it materially as a possibility and was often looked at like that, but there was a place for that. You could get a meal at an ashram and you could find a place to live in Vrindavan, you know, there was a, a, accommodations and so forth. And you could do Madhukari and you could get chapatis and some rice and so forth. So that's a foreboding enough, in a, in a way, kind of a, a lifestyle, if we think about it, but to come to then, as Prabhupada did, to America, where you know, living on his faith in the Bhagavatam and in the Holy Name, where he would get his next meal, he had absolutely no idea. And it wasn't really on his mind. <laughs> we never hear him worrying about, you know, whether he would get something to eat in America. Well, he did wonder, I guess he packed some cereal we heard this morning, some dry cereal that somebody gave him. I mean, that's not putting a lot of thought into it. Um, he wasn't preoccupied. People sometimes criticize why he didn't do Madhukari. I said, well, you know, why don't you try this Madhukari? Go to New York at 70 years old in the wintertime when you've never been outside of India, which is a tropical country. Um, without any, you know, winter coat or whatnot. He was living on the streets in the Bowery at one point after he arrived. He said when he got off the boat, he didn't know whether to turn left or right. Got off in Boston and was left, I guess, to go to New York, <laughs> down, the, down the coast. And uh, uh, he was, he was, he did have a sponsor that was arranged, which was part of his visa in Philadelphia, but he went, he went there just 
out of formalities, but he, he was he couldn't be contained there. He had to get out of the suburbs into the city and so forth. And so he didn't know where he would stay hmm? and where he would eat and so forth. But uh, he lived on the Bhagavatam, in the Bhagavatam. Hmm? Um, so hurdles before coming and hurdles after coming. With regard to coming, he, he went to Maharaji Desai and... Uh, not Maharaji Desai, what's her name? Maharaji Desai. Sumati. Maharaji Desai was another Desai who became the Prime Minister at one point of India. Um, Sumati Muraji hmm, was her name. Uh, and um, he got some money for printing his book, and I think he went back to her then to get passage to to uh, America. And he, used to, he would sit outside of her house and chant Japa. Hmm. And she didn't want to give him passage because she thought he's old and he's a sadhu and he won't get anything to eat over there maybe. He might die of the cold in New York. How can I do this to him? You know, he should be in Vrindavan and retire, just doing bhajan, and, and and so forth. So she refused, but he just sat there, and chanted. Hmm? And so she was, you know, give him some food. That's sadhu, you know. Finally, she had to talk to him, and he uh, managed to convince her hmm? with his charm and persistence. Really, he basically. Wouldn't take no for an answer. That was that was that was his policy. There was nothing that uh, could get in his way. As I say, he was unmotivated and undeterred. Hmm? These were big hurdles. So they said to get to get to, you know to one to get the money is one thing. So he had nothing. He had to convince somebody to give them him, him the money to go to America. And he wasn't like some big big wealthy. You know the politicians paid and paid for sadhu, hmm? who comes in his silk cloth and you know, and he's got a lot of money and so forth. He was a beggar. Who was going to give him money to go to America at seventy years old for some crazy idea of selling the you know distributing the Srimad Bhagavatam? You know? And Prabhupada would just talk about what the Bhagavatam was in a compelling way and so forth. And uh, eventually, the resistance of Sumati Maharaji was worn worn down. She agreed to give him passage on a um, commercial boat that had a little quarters, a little guest room, and except for something other than for the captain and his wife, who would be on the boat as well, and the crew, of course. And and so that was a huge hurdle. I think he sat on her lawn and just chanted, fasting, until she, you know, had to had to acquiesce and, and listen to him, and then he just wouldn't let her. Uh, wouldn't take no for an answer, and uh, so she agreed. And all, but then he had to get his visa. Not an easy thing. Hmm? Um, and so he tried. He put in a petition. And at that time, he was he 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 had gotten so far. I mean, there were many hurdles before this that we're not um, um, mentioning. But at this point, then he was. Just waiting on the visa, he had applied, done everything, and and it was taking a long time. And finally, he went asking, "What's what's up with my visa? This is my case." And they said, "We're not going to give you the visa." And they needed something called a P form, whatever that was in those days. And they denied it. They denied his P form. Um, and so he, he, or the man said, he, "I'm going to deny it." And I forget the reason he gave, but Prabhupada said, that's fine, let me talk to your um, superior. 
or your supervisor. Hmm? So he went to the top in the uh, whatever it was. This must have been an Indian uh, administrative facility that needed to to um, sign off before he could, you know, get a visa from the U.S. Embassy or something like that. So he went to the top and persisted and. And by the t- he was so persistent that he that, you know, was told, this guy is here, you know, this sadhu, like, he wants to talk to you. I told him, no, you know, we're not going to give the P form. And I gave him all the reasons, the good reasons. But he's persistent, he wants to talk to you. And so <laughs> the supervisor said, all right. I guess he just felt the persistence and enthusiasm and the, the, the undeterred nature of Prabhupada's um, pursuit so by the time he met with the supervisor, the supervisor said, you don't understand anything here. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Take it. If you want to do it, do it. Go, Go for it. He gave him the P form. <laughs> and that was it. Prabhupada is like, his, his life like lit up. Like It's so incredible because here he is. He wanted to go. Everybody, sadhus, as I'm saying, they're making this contrast. Indians want to go to New York, you know, for all for the wrong reasons. Hmm? Or for the right reasons, materially speaking, you can't blame them. Hmm? They want to improve their economic situation and so forth. But they're wrong from the absolute perspective. They won't. They won't end hunger by that. Hmm? They won't solve the problems. Hmm? And then you have the other side, the sadhus. The last thing they're thinking about is going to New York. They want to live in Vrindavan. It's a holy place. It's a conducive atmosphere for spiritual life and so forth. You can get your potties there. <laughs> you know, that can deteriorate too. A fellow told me, a godbrother of mine actually, who was a sannyasi, he's, we were in Vrindavan together and he said, uh, we, um, some devotees wanted to go to different places of Krishna's pastimes. And um, so he said, Marsh, why don't you come with me and we can go to this place. Some devotees want to go and, and you can speak about the pastimes of Krishna that took place there and so forth. He said, right near there is such and such, and that's a real good place for Madhukari. Because he had been doing Madhukari. So I laughed at him. I said, you're not doing Madhukari. <laughs> it's a good place. For, they give hot chapatis over there. That's <laughs> not the Madhukari disposition, right? So I laughed at him. I said, you should go to New York and preach. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, no, Prabhupada, the, uh, here he is in Vrindavan thinking about going to New York and so preoccupied with it, undeterred and so forth. And then when he gets the green light that everything's in order, he can go. That's like, this just made his day, made his... And, 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 and so this is an important example of how Vaishnavism is difficult to understand. It said, Vaishnavera Kriyamudra Bhignena Pujai. It's very difficult to understand the, the activities of the Vaishnava because they parallel in many respects, they can parallel just ordinary um, life, ordinary religious life. Um, uh, Prabhupada was busy trying to print books, get money, and, and so forth. And spiritual life is thought to be, well, you don't get involved with all those things and you're removed from them and so forth. But bhakti is different. Bhakti is not about leaving the world. It's about excavating the connection that all things have with their source by way of using all things in Krishna's service and not being thereby um, 
taken away by them, so to speak, but taking them and, as I say, excavating their source, their connection with their spiritual source and giving real meaning to them and to the world and so forth. So this is the Yukta Vairagya, if you will, that he was um, preoccupied with real um, Vaishnav Vairagya. To be, I mean, just think of it, to be meditating on going to New York and it's totally synonymous with the, with the ambition to attain um, intimate, an intimate relationship in Goloka Vrindavan with Krishna. <laughs> so how do you trace that out? He, he, by all observable um, factors, uh, he would appear to be going in the other um, direction, trying to collect as much information about the Western world as he could some way or other, find his way to get there and so forth. But all of that preoccupation, motivated as it was, simply um, uh, fueled by the idea of fulfilling the, the desire of his guru, Guru Bhakti. This is Guru Nishta, to be fixed on the, on the, the, the order of the guru. This turned everything to the super spiritual. It made his his desire. It made really it made his desire to go to New York more spiritual than most people's desire to, to go to Vrindavan. Hmm? It's, it's, it's really an incredible uh, example, and that kind of ambition, undeterred ambition. This is this is a haitiki apratihata hmm? bhakti. Yato bhakti so he was a self-satisfied person. No need to take anything. He was only going to give. And finally, then he, you know, he he got the green light to get on. You know, not a luxury cruise, but this uh, cargo. cargo boat. And uh, and this was just the day after the Baladev Purnim, which is. About then, about seven more days, one more week, and as the Janamastami and Prabhupada was born in the world the day after Krishna's birth, so he would spend his day of his birth, his 70th birthday, and Krishna Janamastami on a boat, a cargo boat, heading for New York in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. He suffered two heart attacks on the boat, and seasickness and so forth, and he had a dream. And in a dream, a vision, Krishna was sitting on the captain of the boat. Krishna had become the captain of the boat. So he said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it to the other side. <laughs> he said, there, some of the, perhaps the most introspective, well, we can say, he, he, it, in, in that setting, he shared, like in no other way, the, the most, his most introspective, Moments. He may have had other more introspective moments, but he never shared them. There he shared them, in a sense. He shared them because he wrote a poem there hmm, about his ambitions, his ambition, his ambition to fulfill the desire of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and how it corresponded. That means he- heading heading west, heading for New York, wanting to get to the Big Apple, hmm, and how that corresponded with his desire to uh, roam in the pastures, herding cows with Krishna, you know, in, in, in eternity. Hmm? How his external activities in the outreach in the field of 
distributing Gaudiya Vaishnavism and Guru Seva corresponded with um, living ultimately in in Goloka Vrindavan. Beautiful um, prayer. These are very intimate moments. And he didn't really share them in a sense because he, he just he's on a boat writing. He didn't have a big mission or anything. He was a lone person. Alone. Hmm? Or so it appeared. And he wrote this prayer to Krishna stating these things. Never thinking that this would be published and celebrated and talked about here today, you know, in, in, in California and other places around the world is, you know, part of the story. Uh, this is where the story gets really deep and and uh, and we come to the, the analysis of the story from the perspective of his revered god brother Pujapatrida Maharaj, who we were the fortunate to get the counsel of the association of after Prabhupada's departure, who said that, of course, who knew him also, hmm? as a god brother, he lived, he lived in Prabhupada's house for six years hmm? before Prabhupada take, took sannyas and so forth. They were very intimate. And um, seeing then what happened to him when he came to New York and how this Gaudi Vaishnavism went so far and wide and so forth and, and, uh, and how you know, we're all here today uh, in many, many respects on account of that. Um, he analyzed that, that uh, Prabhupada on the boat his, had so much emptied himself out. He had absolutely no other desire. His heart was only beating for the fulfillment of the order of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur as he conceived of it. And his prayer, he, he prayed to Krishna very intimately, you know, dear Krishna, my dear friend, he said, you, you, if it's known widely that if Radharani is pleased with you, then your life is successful. Mm-hmm. That, that will make you, that, that will be the perfection of your, your life. So, um, I have this mission from my guru, and he is a representative of Radharani, and her group. So I think that you should give me the power hmm, to fulfill her ambitions. And that'll be good for you. Hmm. This way, he reasoned with with Krishna in his heart. Krishna can't resist that kind of reasoning. Hmm. <laughs> so he, he he gave him the, the shakti in a huge way by investing his other self in him. Who is his other self? Krishna's other self. That is Balaram. Hmm. And in the context of the Kali Yuga, Krishna and Ram, they come as Narottam prays, sings, Golokeru Premadan Harinam Sankirtan, Brajananandana Jai Satisata Holose, Balaram Huilo Nitai. Krishna has come as Chaitanya, and Balaram has come as Nitai, Nitananda. Hmm? So, this Nitananda, of course, as we discussed yesterday, is have that kind of huge wide outreach to the downtrodden people. That was how he was commissioned. Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya was a sannyasi, so he has observed certain etiquette. If a sannyasi was seen in a brothel, people would think, a problem. Hmm? So he couldn't go there, but he wanted to deliver such people. So he sent Nityananda Prabhu there, who was unorthodox in his behavior. It said, if you see Nityananda at a brothel, speaking with a working lady, then you should think he's only there to fulfill the ambition of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He has no other purpose. Hmm? So he would do things like that. 
probably was orthodox in his behavior, but but on the other hand, but he was his outreach just wide into the downtrodden people and people who hadn't been touched by this um, for the most part. Uh, um, previously, although he would, did collect up some people who had obviously been involved <laughs> in previous lives, who were stationed over here waiting for him to come with open arms to assist him and so forth. And, um, and members of his own his own group, uh, members to be, something like that, from previous lives. When I met Prabhupada for the first time, I felt oh, I've known him forever as my old friend like an old friend coming to collect me up. What are you doing here? Come with me. So, Sridhar reasoned for this and other reasons, analyzing his character, his 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 uh, preoccupation with Gornatai, his placing Christian Balaram on the central altar in Vrindavan, in his temple there and so forth, that, that Nityananda had to given uh, like empowerment, shakti, hmm? kripa shakti, as we talked yesterday that night, in a big way in him, lived within him, so to speak. Because he saw him too when he came back to India. And I was like, wow. <laughs> he was turning heads everywhere and so forth. He was pure and unassuming, undeterred and unmotivated in his pursuit previously to come to America. But people weren't taking him very seriously. They should have. Hmm? Because he had so much emptied himself out of any other ambition, which is not an easy thing to do. So much. Hmm? And so much filled his heart with the ambition to fulfill the order of his guru that the Akanda Guru Tattva just like, whew, Look like here's a good place to hang out. <laughs> this is a good place. <laughs> I don't go just anywhere. This is a really this is a very accommodating here. Uh, I'll be happy here. Then he was, you know, those that he had, had that vision that those eyes that they look at you and it would, you, would, you would just melt. Hmm? So she saw him coming back. You know, he came to visit the moth and so forth there, and other people too that were taking notice of him. Of course, he was bringing his. His some disciples from the West also, and and so on, celebrating the not the success, if you will, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's outreach and so forth. So this is anyway, it's a great uh, story, certainly worth um, remembering. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the coming here and uh, crossing on the boat and so forth. That's the part that always. Um, was most in, uh, compelling to me and inspiring to me. Personally, I found myself in difficult situations also, trying to uh, fulfill his his desires in the wake of his disappearance and so forth. Many of the things that have happened, being alone on the streets as it was in, in San Francisco with no, no backing and so forth, um, having had to leave his mission for, in my estimation, Fulfilling his am, am, ambition at the at the time, it was a great. Uh, so I take a lot of solace in in his in his struggles, if you will. Um, and I don't I don't look at them like some people like to look like. Well, I wasn't really struggling because he's he's pure and some kind of act or something. It's not like that. No, he was actually struggling, 
And you can look at it however you want to say, by the influence of Yoga Maya, he actually struggled. Like, Yashoda actually had labor pains, hmm? <laughs> giving birth to Krishna. It's a fact. It's, it really happened <laughs> in, all, in, in all its humanness and so forth. This is the charming side. This is the Madhurya, really, of Prabhupada. People think, well, you know, he didn't really suffer, so it's not fair, you know. You talk about his... his no, it was it was difficult. Hmm? He actually experienced difficulty there. Hmm? Undeterred, of course, and 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 being unmotivated, he it was um, different than than ordinary life. But still, there's there's uh, there are there are uh, struggles in in spiritual life. There's sacrifice. So we we have you know there we have Krishna speaking in the Brihad Bhagavatam to the Gopal Kumar when he arrives. He says to him what he said he he. he He's coming back from the pasture, Krishna, with all of his friends. And the Gopal Kumar, his journey is described in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, the first book of the Gaudiya Sampradaya by Sanatana Goswami. Gopal Kumar is going, chanting his mantra and going through different planes of experience and so forth till he reaches his destiny in Goloka as a cowherd. Hmm? And there he arrives in a beautiful, his beautiful sarup, hmm? cowherd self form, and Krishna's coming out of the forest, returning from Vrindavan with all of his, we can imagine, with all of his cows and friends and so forth, and there's someone who's just arrived to partake, to, to enter into the Leela, and Krishna sees him, faints, passes out, gets up, embraces him, drenches him with tears, and everybody thinks, what's going on here? Krishna's passing out, is it a demon? Dressed as a cowherd that's come here? You know, and then it's revealed, the Christian says to him, I waited so long for you, hmm? and you suffered so much on my account. Hmm? You knocked on so many doors, and so many of them were closed and slammed in your face, and all that you did for me, and you were undeterred. Hmm? I was there witnessing every struggle hmm, that you went through for me, uh, waiting for you to come to me to, 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 to finally arrive at this this point. Hmm? Hmm. There's no There's no leaving that place. Hmm? How Krishna feels about it. at the end, it was Gobindabhasha commentary and Vedanta Sutra says, it's anabhatihi sabdat, anabhatihi sabdat. And going there, one never returns, so the sound says. Hmm? This is what the, the Upanishads, the Shruti says, going there, one never returns. This is the land, this is the home then. Hmm? And he reasons there in his commentary, he says, even if somebody wanted to leave, which is impossible, Krishna could not allow it. Hmm? He couldn't allow it. The, the thought was just impossible for him to entertain. Though hmm? so you find him embracing the Gopakumar. And saying, I was with you the whole time. Hmm? So we should take, we could get courage from, from this, you know, to our life of bhakti. I like to say that the sacrifice is the womb. Hmm? Sacrifice and struggle is the womb from which this fruit of prem takes birth. Hmm? Sacrifice is the womb of the child of, of love. So 
to put them together. If we want love, then we have to embrace sacrifice. This is the this is the beginning of it. Hmm? Don't shy away from that, from the opportunity to give and to give and to give up. So his example in that regard, it's very compelling, very inspiring. And then the successes, of course, that came. Eventually, he had you know an 11-story building in in New York, the, the penthouse suite, you know. There, there was a temple, of course, <laughs> and we gave the eleventh floor to, to him. It was a huge triumph for him. I mean, he come to Manhattan, broke, and so forth. And, and Krishna gave him so many students and help that he built an eleventh. Well, they bought an eleven-story building in Manhattan with a big temple in it. And, and I remember sitting there with Prabhupada just the same year I took sannyas from him, 1975. <laughs> I've told the story before, but it's. Worth repeating, Prabhupada looked at me, and I was sitting alone with him, and he said, Have you seen the women of New York? I didn't know what to say because I was just a new sannyasi, you know. And uh, he said, They're so beautiful. Hmm? They've gone talking about them and so forth, and I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought, Wow, what's he saying to me here? You know? And he said, They're so beautiful, and, and, and all the men are just running around. Because of their beauty and their charm, and the whole thing, and so all the buildings are going up like this, you know. And this, this, he said, this is Vishnu Maya. So there he was again, thinking about New York and thinking, meditating on the beautiful women of New York, and thinking, this is fascinating. <laughs> this is a fascinating Vishnu Maya, and the, and the woman is attracting the man. This is Maya. Man attracts woman. Man works <laughs> for the for the attraction of the woman. Women work too for the attraction of the men. I mean, it goes both ways, of course, in today's society for good reasons. But the attraction between man and woman and the whole thing's going up, and this is what it's all about. He's a sannyasi with you know not involved in any of that and watching the whole show and kind of getting to the source of it. This is what it's all about, and it's such a small thing. Hmm? If it weren't for this attraction, <laughs> nobody would be doing any of these things. <laughs> Practically, hmm? it's all going on for this. This is Vishnu Maya. See how bewildered the soul is. Hmm? And so it was fascinating for me to see him, like I say, meditating. Here's another example on the women of New York. And, but his take on it was entirely, entirely spiritual. Hmm? So we're very fortunate to be in his uh, lineage, to be um, following in the wake of his campaign is important to us uh, for us to understand it appropriately to understand its place in history the nature of his contribution historically and uh, and from that we can derive what his expectations of us will be in the present time and he has expectations of us and they're large hmm? he left some seva for us to be done he didn't do everything it's not all finished that is his mercy if he had left it all all done, then how would we what would we have to do? And we need something to do. Otherwise, we'll do something else, <laughs> and that would be a problem. So that is his kindness. He left something for us to do. And so, in understand what that is that we have to do, it's important to understand his contribution, as perfect and complete as it is, in terms of um, its um, relevance in the time and the circumstance in which that um, service that um, to his, his guru was, was rendered. 
and how to take from that and extend upon that and so forth. Now, in the present circumstance, this is not to diminish him in any way to see his, but to understand the depth of his contribution so that we can be an ongoing part of that contribution in a, in a meaningful meaningful way. This is our um, task, to keep this uh, line of Bhaktivedanta, the family of Bhaktivinoda, the current of Bhaktivinoda, which he was animated by. He used to say, my movement is the movement of Bhaktivinoda. Bhaktivinoda Thakur started this outreach to the Western world. He, he had the conception and the, the, the idea was given shape by his disciple Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur and Bhaktivedanta Sami. Prabhupada took it all over the world, and Sridhar Maharaj, Puja Maharaj, reflected back on it, hmm? on its significance, and taught us to do that as well, so that we could find our place in his apparent absence and remain connected with him by that current of his ambition hmm? to see this uh, remain alive in in the world. So. It's our <clears throat> important uh, task to glorify him in a meaningful and substantial way. Hmm? Are there any questions? What's the time? Okay. Any question? Yes. Tarsha? Some do. So how how can those that do like can they ever be benefited so they come to like the actual thing? Or? Oh, so like those those boys who join a mission and they yeah, they just want to get to yeah. I, I I would say that their their interest is mixed, a little mixed. And certainly they get some benefit by their involvement in bhakti, even if it be only in, 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 name, in name only. Um, but I think like everyone else, if they can make contact with the real sadhu, hmm, we didn't find much of that in Prabhupada's mission. Indian boys were joining Prabhupada's mission also, but they, they, they didn't, we didn't find much of that ambition to come to the West in them. So, if they can contact the real sadhu, then um, that's a good field, actually. The sadhu can press on them. They know better, kind of. They, it, it's, 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 you know, unfortunately, the fact is that for a lot of young Indian men and women who get involved in, in uh, spiritual life, like like Gaudiya Vaishnava, for example, it's 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 often not the same kind of conversion that another person undergoes. It's like well, it's like I was a Protestant, I became a Catholic, you know, or okay, I decided to become a Christian, you know. It's like something in this country, it's something that you can do. So it's an Indian, well, I'll be Gaudiya Vaishnava, or I'll be a this or that. It's okay, no big deal. But if a young boy or girl decides to become here, the parents will flip out, or who knows what. You read what's his recent uh, comic, perhaps, on the harmonist in, the, in that regard. 
so it's and it is more. It's 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 a, it's a it's kind of in pursuit of experiential spiritual life rather than a religion that fits. And oftentimes, so anyway, the 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 way to turn that interest, however lukewarm it may be, into a real fire that will digest all material desires and sort out the material ambitions for what they are and retire them. That um, is sadhu sangha, so they can come in touch with the real sadhu, and they, they, this is this this is the birth of real bhakti, the janma of bhakti. Does that help? Another question? No. Yes. It's a it's a bhava deha, a body made of bhava. But that doesn't. So you think it's some kind of ghost or something like that? No. Um, it has an appearance of all material elements and so forth. We. We look at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's body like Krishna's sadhaka deha. If Krishna was to do sadhana, spiritual practice, which is what he does, in order to attain prem, radha prem, Krishna wanted to taste the love of radha, so he had to become a sadhaka in the school of prem bhakti. So he appears as Chaitanya. As a practitioner, so that's Krishna's sadaka deha. In in the Gorlila, then it is called sada sadhana siddha bhumi, the, the the land where siddhas act like sadakas. They're worshiping Krishna and doing kirtan and so forth. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna in a sadaka deha, and he teaches us through Sanatana Goswami that the sadaka deha is not a material body. It is anandamai. It is uh, purnananda. So at the time of initiation, he says, that the body begins to take on a spiritual characteristic because it becomes under the influence of a different force, if you will. It becomes under the influence of the surup shakti that is descending through the Guru Parampara, rather than under the influence of the Maya Shakti, which is a product, uh, which, whose influence, particular influence upon us, is a product of kar- our karma and so forth. So it looks the same, but it's, but it's different. Hmm? 
it has a different effect, we'll see. Um, let's say if you take an iron rod and you stick it in the fire, okay? Say I pull it out and I touch you with it. You will say, you burnt me. You won't think you got touched by iron. You will think you got touched by fire, mm-hmm. right? Actually, you got touched by iron, but not, but kind of, it's iron, but it's fire. And so the Sadhakadeya, difficult subject to understand. Hmm? But Mahaprabhu says it actually, the, even, even the, mater, the material body in connection then with bhakti becomes spiritualized. Hmm? Now, Mahaprabhu is a little bit different because that's Krishna's <laughs> Sadhakadeya. So it's a spiritual Sadhakadeya to, to begin with. For some people, it looks completely material. Mm-hmm. Unless you have devotional eyes to see, uh, you won't see it for what it is. So some people look at it and think he was having having epileptic fits or something. Of course, they look at it through history books and so forth, and they think his ecstasy must have been epileptic because there is no such thing as praying. Mm-hmm. But uh, many wrote about it and, and, and the influence we don't find epileptics having that kind of influence on people that, that you look at them and they become epileptics too. <laughs> this is what happened. These are the testimonies. He looked at me and I became an epileptic. It's not contagious through glancing. <laughs> so, um, so it has an appearance uh, to, to the mundane eye. Let's take the deity, okay? Deity looks like a statue, and people say, why are you worshipping that statue? But if you approach that statue, so-called, appropriately, as if it's not a statue, and according to the language and the etiquette of the realm of ritual and so forth, then there are many instances of the deity speaking to the devotees and so forth. So then someone will look and say, well, it's just a stone. And you say, well, I'm seeing something different than you. So what is, there's a motivating factor, there's an influence through Guru Parampara that's coming to us. It takes over our, our life, so to speak. And as that develops and becomes perfected, then, then the Sadhaka Day becomes a worshipable um, body as well. That's why we take the body of a Prabhupada, for example, the Guru, and we put it in, a, in, in what's called a Samadhi. <clears throat> it's really like a tomb. <clears throat> But the term samadhi is used, means he's, he's entered fully internally. And so the, the vehicle in which that internal life is fully active, that's something extraordinary. So that becomes a worshipable, worshipable place, hmm? the samadhi. People come and pay their respect there, they chant there, and, and uh, petition the guru, for example, in Sadhakadeya there to bless them and so forth. So you can think of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's body like that. Let's take the Bhagavatam, for example, we don't have it here, but it's just paper and ink, right? You can burn it, throw it away. But if you read it and follow its instructions under the guidance of a guru, that thing that appears temporary actually brings you in touch with eternity. So there's a meeting place between time and eternity, a juncture. And that which is eternal takes on a temporal-like appearance in order to be on the radar, so to speak, of those in the, in the, in the world of the temporal. 
but coming there for the purpose of taking them out. And we find so many examples. People read the Bhagavatam, they only experience eternity. Out of what? Paper? And ink? Huh? No, there must be something more. So there's an appearance of, t- of, of the temporal. There must be. There's a junction between the two. Hmm? So, Sadaka Day is something like, like that. And Gore's body is Krishna's Sadaka Deha. That's where Krishna does his sadhana in. Hmm? <laughs> so, all right, we'll stop there. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Esi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai. Janmashtami Mahamutsva Titi ki jai. Gaur Premanandi. Hari Bhu.